Welcome back to Cargumentative, your favorite Times Live podcast on which we chat about all things cars and automotive. I'm your host, Thomas Faulkner from the Sunday Times, and this week in the virtual studio, I'm joined by Dennis Dropper and Sean Corston from Ignition TV. Sean, how are you doing? Hey, Tom, good, man. How are you? Oh, I can't complain, can't complain, you know. Um, enjoying the warm weather. Well, it used to be warm, it's now, you know rainy and gloomy but uh yeah what can you do yeah what can you do to actually mess up one of our shoots today so, oh know, really but yeah we're shooting the new golf gti tcr oh very nice very nice can you tell us more about it yeah um so 300 made worldwide i'm not sure how many we got locally uh, i think dennis could probably confirm that uh we were driving 298 um what's different really well it's got more power obviously 213 kilowatts um crazy rear diffuser front lips side lips and some very strange stickers on the side in terms of the way it drives so this is the final hurrah for the golf gti golf 7 gti and First impressions were, if you want a final hurrah for Golf 7 GTI, I think the club sport would probably be your best bet. This one, I, I mean, it's it's engaging. It's it's just, I, to me personally, it lacks a level of engagement that the club sport gave you. But as a package, I think it's great. And I think South Africans are going to absolutely flock to it. Whatever units are available, I don't think they will be available for very much longer because it's a GTI badge. Anything with a GTI badge will sell. And if it's the last one of a 7 GTI, it's going to sell is it worth the money well for you it might be for me uh, I, i'd rather look at another hot hatch yeah look i mean gti hugely popular here in south africa i'm sure all those tcrs are, are probably have been you know sort of snapped up and but i kind of agree with you the club sport really had that kind of focused track ready edge to it and the, the TCR just seems like, you know, well, we had a couple of GTIs lying around. Let's jazz them up a little exactly. bit and yeah. make them into something. Put a sticker on it. I mean, you can't even get the nice bucket seats. You get the plate and the suede. I mean, look, they look very nice. Don't take it away. Yeah. Bucket seats. You can't even option that. And there's a few other, like if there's no keyless entry and keyless start. It's just, yeah, it's a weird spec the way they've done it. But it doesn't matter what we think because the people will buy it. Exactly. Um, I know that your, your phone is dying and, and you're running low on juice. Is anything else that uh, is newsworthy on your side that uh, is worth mentioning? And that's it. Sean is I think gone. his battery died. <laughs> his battery's died. But luckily, Dennis Dropper is here, editor-at-large for BD Motor News. Dennis, how are you? But, uh, well, I'm not sure about editor-at-large, but editor <laughs> in the seat. But, yeah, all good. Thank you. And I'm, I, I, for one, am enjoying this sort of gloomier, rainy weather because we certainly need yeah. it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, on that subject of that TCR, I'm actually getting one uh, tomorrow to test. And mm. uh, next week, I'm going to be taking that as well as the Mercedes-AMG A35 to Geratech for a side-by-side -side, uh, test. So we'll see how the aging uh, Golf 7 hot hatch uh, you know, fares against the, the all-new Mercedes uh, A-Class hatch. So we'll see how they go. That should be interesting. Uh, that A35, is that all-wheel drive or is it front-wheel drive? That's a, that's an all-wheel drive, Thomas. Yeah, okay. and uh, okay. it's, got more, it's got more power than the Golf, but uh, Golfs mm. tend to always uh, underplay their, their power output figures. And they, they, they always seem to punch above their weight. So we'll see how that goes.
Yeah, and I mean the golf chassis just puts the power down so well, you know. Um, yeah, I think you'd probably agree on that as well. You know, um, when it comes to launching, they're superb. They are. They're very good, and and we often get a quicker acceleration times than than what VW quotes. Mm. So they're kind of a little bit like Porsche, you know, a little bit of conservative approach, and uh, yeah. they're always a little bit quicker than what the manufacturer claims. Moving on from the Golf, what else has been happening? Well, since we're talking about Volkswagens, let me talk about a slightly larger one, or a lot larger, mm. and that's uh, Volkswagen's venerable Transporter, otherwise known as the T-Series, but better known in South Africa as the Volksy bus. So it's 70 years old this year, and the sixth-generation version, known as the T6, was launched here in 2015, and now for this year, it's just undergone a facelift and some technology tweaks. So the factory calls it the T6.1, and it's due to go on sale in South Africa in January. And apart from the Combi and the, and the Caravelle, etc., it's available in a whole range of commercial vehicles, including pickups and panel vans and crew buses. But I got to drive the Caravelle version at the launch, a real live launch that we, had, uh, that we flew to this week. So that's the first post-lockdown flight to a car launch I've done. That seemed what a thing, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so, I mean, some of the highlights of this uh, revamped T6.1 is a, is a cosmetic uh, upgrade. The snout is restyled with new headlights and a different bumper, LED daytime running lights, etc. And inside, the cabin adopts digitalized flare and improved practicality. And there's also more power. Uh, so the, the Caravelle comes with a 146 kilowatt turbo diesel 2 liter engine, which I must say pulls very nicely, nice and smooth, and no turbo lag at sea level where we drove it. I'll see mm. once I drive one at Gauteng altitude how the turbo lag feels. Interesting. I mean, it's a, it's quite a striking looking vehicle. Um, I, I really like the way that they've, they've restyled the front of the car. Uh, it's quite aggressive. It's kind of almost sort of Arteon-esque in a way. But yeah, a very striking looking van. Dennis, how much do they start off at? Well, the uh, the basic pickup, etc., mm. uh, starts at just over 400,000 Rand. But if you want yourself a Caravelle, that's 1.15 million. And if you want the California version, which is the, the camper van one, which has got the pop-up roof, and the, the caravan-like interior, that's 1.2 million. So now they're not cheap, but mm. they do cover a lot of bases. I mean, they carry a lot of people, and they're very luxurious. And uh, if you have them in the four-motion, four-wheel drive version, they can even attempt some semi-decent, uh, semi-rough off-roading. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I really like that California. I think, I think that that would be a great car to have, uh, especially in South Africa, you know, with so many nice places to go and visit and road trip to. Uh, something like that makes a whole lot of sense. Whole yeah, lot of yeah. Sense. I, I nickname it the Mini Bago. <laughs> nice. Well, yeah, if you want to read more about uh, the new Volkswagen Transporter range, you can head on over to Times Live Motoring and you can read Dennis's uh, story up there. Um, I think that's it for news. Uh, our producer is waving her hands at me, telling us to move on. So we're going to take a quick break, Dennis. And when we come back, we're going to be joined in the virtual studio by Leighton Beard from the AA. Join 
Join me, Nicole Engelbrecht, your host on True Crime South Africa, a weekly podcast that covers both solved and unsolved South African true crime cases. Welcome back to Cargumentative. In this segment of the show, we're joined in the virtual studio by AA spokesperson Leighton Beard. Leighton, thanks so much for taking the time out to chat with us. Yeah, it's good to be with you guys. Happy to be part of this platform. Fantastic. Now, um, before we go much further, I just want to tell our listeners a little bit more about who you are and uh, what your role is at the AA. Well, I'm, I'm a journalist by profession, and um, I was very fortunate about seven years ago to get an opportunity to work uh, in the AA's Public Affairs Division. And essentially what I do is I, uh, I work very closely with public relations, um, speaking to journalists like yourself. Um, and I think the main purpose of our role um, in the Public Affairs Division is to um, speak about our campaigns around road safety, around vehicle safety, uh, and just highlight what we think are important messages for consumers uh, and all road users. And um, that's something that we've been involved in for the last uh, 90 years as the AA. Um, and I'm uh, very honored to be part of the team that's taken it up in the last five years. And that's basically what I do. It doesn't sound like a lot. Um, my bosses tell me constantly I'm actually quite lazy and do nothing. Um, but I try to think that I keep myself as busy as possible. Well, you seem pretty busy to me because whenever I turn on TV or go on to YouTube, I see you, you know, speaking to some presenter or journalist. So, you know, <laughs> you're kind of everywhere. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, talking road safety in South Africa, um, mm. there's one thing that immediately springs to mind at the moment, and that is the highly controversial auto bill. Mm. And it's on the cusp of being rolled out. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about it? I think there's some, some of them who are not 100% sure what it's all about and what it actually what entails. It yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think they're alone, um, to be honest. I think that um, there are many people who are confused about exactly what auto is and how it's going to be rolled out and when it's going to be rolled out. Um, you know, we've had various dates of when this thing is actually going to come into play. Um, so essentially, it's the adjudication of road traffic offences. And what that means is that there's a fine system that's going to be in place for the entire country and it's going to be standardised. Um, it was a process that was rolled out in uh, Johannesburg and Pretoria. Uh, note, not Gauteng, um, Johannesburg and Pretoria. And, you know, various fines were handed out uh, for various offences. And in our view, the rollout of auto in Johannesburg and Pretoria wasn't extremely successful. Uh, in fact, there were quite a few limitations that were highlighted. Uh, and because of some of those reasons um, uh, regarding the limitations of, of the rollout and the pilot projects in Joburg and Pretoria, uh, we don't think the system is ready to be rolled out nationally. But be that as it may, the government has a different opinion and they will be rolling it out. Our concerns relate to the rights of motorists and how Otto is going to infringe upon those. Um, you will get a, a notice um, of an auto infringement. Um, there are concerns around how the post office is going to get those notices to you. Um, there is a concern about how you will appeal uh, a notice that you've received in the mail and, and the process that you need to go through and the bodies that have been set up to deal with that. And we 
concerned about the fact that there's going to be quite a lot of delays in terms of that. And our view, something that we've had for a long time, is that um, despite the fact that Auto is billed as something that is going to deal with road safety in South Africa, it's more of a revenue collection uh, process. And we are concerned about that specifically. When you look at a country like South Africa, we have on average around 13,000 deaths on our roads annually. And that's an incredibly high number. When you look at other countries around the world uh, per capita, South Africa ranks very, very low in terms of our road safety. And that's a, a huge issue. Now, you bring in legislation, and um, it's the same type of legislation where you want to drop the, the alcohol level to zero. And our approach has been you can't legislate yourself out of a problem that requires boots on the ground. And in terms of road safety in South Africa, it requires boots on the ground, it requires proper enforcement, and it requires compliance. And one of the ways you do that is by changing people's attitudes and showing people that there are consequences for their behavior. We don't believe Otto is going to do that. Some interesting uh, insights there into the Otto bill. In your opinion, what would work better than Otto? Would you like to see a more proactive approach in the way that the government deals with road safety and quelling yeah. road deaths? Yeah, that's a, that's a very good question. You know, at the risk of... Um, speaking you know forever on this because it's, it's a topic we're very passionate about mm-hmm. uh, and when i say we i don't mean the royal we i mean the aa we had a situation last year where there was a traffic law enforcement review committee and they presented their findings to the minister and that's on his table the minister of transport at the moment and amongst the findings of this review committee were that traffic law enforcement in South Africa needs an overall. We need more traffic law enforcers in the country. They need to be better resourced. Um, the equipment needs to be better. Um, the, the vehicles in which they're traveling in needs to be better. There needs to be a more standardized approach to uh, law enforcement in the country. And those are recommendations that are on the table. You asked me what are the alternatives in terms of dealing with road safety in South Africa. We need better law enforcement. And when we say better law enforcement, we need law enforcement that is geared towards dealing with so-called moving violations, people who are speeding, people who are drinking and driving, people who are using mobile devices while they're driving, people who are cutting other people off in lanes, people who are using the, the yellow lane for driving. We need enforcement of those things. What we are seeing is enforcement of expired vehicle license discs. That is not going to solve the road safety issue in our country. Proper law enforcement is a very key element of ensuring proper road safety. So that's the one element. We need better education of our drivers. We need children as young as three and four who can understand how to walk on a road. We need to educate them about what road signs are. We need to educate them about how to walk on roads. And they need to develop over a period of time how to be better cyclists, how to be better road users when you're using public transport. And they need to graduate into a system where By the time they are learning to drive, whether it's a motorbike or a bicycle or a vehicle, they understand the rules of the road a lot better than what they do at the moment. You know, so we need that education and that's intensive education from a very young age. We need proper campaigns throughout the year to educate people about the dangers uh, of not obeying the rules of the road. So all of that is, is part of the solution. Um, we need proper prosecution of offences, and we need that those prosecutions, uh, that justice to be seen to be done. And we're not sure that that is the case at the moment. I'll bring you back to this argument that we had earlier about bringing the alcohol level down to zero. 
um, you can bring the alcohol level down to zero. It's not going to stop people from drinking and driving. Seeing people who are prosecuted severely because they are drinking and driving is one way of getting the message across that you shouldn't be doing that. That's another way in which we think that road safety will um, improve in the country. We need safer vehicles on our roads. We need to ensure that people are driving uh, in cars that if they are involved in a crash is going to protect them in the event of that crash. We need safer roads. We need our road surfaces to be better managed. We need bridges to be built uh, where people are walking so that people don't walk over roads uh, where it's dangerous to do so because 35% of the fatalities on our roads every year are pedestrians. So we need to be educating those people. So there's a lot to be done in terms of road safety introducing new legislation to find drivers, and that legislation isn't, in our view, constitutionally sound, is not going to solve that problem. It requires a, a much broader approach than just merely introducing legislation um, on a piecemeal basis. Absolutely. And I mean, as you say, um, a lot of these, these, these new acts and bills that, that government is uh, passing or trying to pass, um, they all seem like a, a money spinning, you know, sort of elements yeah. so I, I mean um, you know I, I know I sound like a broken record but you know you can't legislate yourself out of a problem that requires boots on the ground and um, you know when, when you talk about road safety um, you need to start with let's let's get our enforcement uh, done properly I don't want to bash government um, you know government has got a lot that it needs to do and I think by and large thankfully there is an acknowledgement that they do need to do a lot um, one of the things I think is critical in terms of road safety in South Africa is road users, and I'm not just talking about people who are driving cars, I'm talking about all road users, pedestrians, people on bicycles, motorbikes, whatever. Um, if you're using public transport, you're a road user. All road users need to be educated more uh, on the dangers of the road and what their role is in being part of that road infrastructure. And they need to play those roles. Um, you know, too often we get people who say, yeah, you know, government's not doing anything to improve road safety. And, you know, then they get in their car and they overtake people at 150 k's an hour on a solid white line. Um, your attitude has also got to change. And um, that's all part of what I said earlier about educating, um, uh, you know, people from a young age about the obeying rules of the road as well. Absolutely. I mean, South Africa has some really, really poor road safety standards just in terms of how we drive and how we behave you know i mean i mean i've been all over the world and uh you come back here and you just think man you know a lot of us are completely clueless yeah um i i'm going to pass you on to my colleague dennis dropper from bd motor news he's also got a couple of questions sure yeah Leighton, i agree with what you said about the enforcement that we certainly have had the relevant laws in place for many years to to stop the carnage and it's just about boots on the ground as you say i'm complete mm -hmm. agreement with you there but um i'm just wondering how how we managed to change the mindset of of the road traffic authorities because you know these calls have been made by the aa and other road safety bodies for many years and mm -hmm. it just seems like uh, you know it goes unheeded uh, yeah. do you think there's a way that we can i don't know maybe maybe more radical way to, to shake them up and just say, listen, you, you've been doing things wrong and this is really the, the way you need to do it. Yeah, tough question, Dennis. I don't know what the answer is. I think um, part of the answer lies in the Traffic Law Re Review Committee report that came out last year. 
One of the things that I'm a little disappointed in uh, regarding that review committee is that many, uh, well, first of all, I think the review committee flew very much under the radar. Um, and the recommendations that it made have also flown uh, by and large under the radar. And I'm not pointing fingers at the media. I think that was a combination of different factors. You know, they didn't promote the, the, the work they did enough. But I, I certainly hope that when the MECs of the different provinces and the Minister of Transport and the Parliamentary uh, Committees on Transport have a look at that review committee's report and the recommendations it makes, it begins to implement some of those, um, th those recommendations as a matter of urgency. I mean, one of the things they talk about is a doubling of the number of traffic law enforcers. Now, in our view, that would go a long way to ensuring that you have more traffic law enforcers on busier roads and doing more important work than merely checking for license disc expiries. Um, so that's definitely, I mean, and th there were a number of recommendations, Dennis, you know, standardizing uh, law enforcement across the country, um, you know, improving resources. And uh, again, I mean, I understand that it's a question of money. One of the things they also spoke about and, and that we also kind of bang our drum on quite a lot is this, this whole issue, this cliched issue of education. You know, when we talk about improving standards and improving law enforcement, we have to acknowledge that, and, and I said this previously, that as motorists, we've also got a major role to play. We can't just leave it in the hands of government. So I acknowledge the fact that we've been, you know, speaking about this for very long and that unfortunately things haven't changed. But I think the best we can do is just carry on banging on that drum and saying, look, you know, we're not going to stop until things get changed. And hopefully, uh, with the recommendations of the review committee, um, you know, some of those things are implemented and we do begin to see this change over a period of time. Bearing in mind that we have now committed as a country to the new U United Nations SDGs and for road traffic safety, that is halving our road deaths by 2030. We missed the 2020 targets. And I think that um, we've got it as 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 you know, people in, in the public space, such as the AA and our public affairs division and yourselves in the media, um, you know, we've got to be holding government to account on those numbers and saying, what are you doing to ensure that we're halving our road deaths by 2030? Those are some of the things that I would suggest are very key to getting this message implemented over a period of time. Right. Now, we can only hope that uh, this does get implemented. But now the AA is also involved in the Safer Cars for Africa program. Can you can you tell me a little bit about that? Yes. So in 2017, we began with the safe, hashtag Safer Cars for Africa program. And basically, Dennis, what we are doing is we're looking at um, specific vehicles in that are available locally in South Africa. Um, we're making a determination uh, of, you know, based on various criteria such as uh, sales figures, um, you know, whether the car is a, a family vehicle, um, how the car is used in, in the country. And, and we're selecting vehicles that we would like to have tested to determine the, the, the safety crash rating of that vehicle. We selected five vehicles in 2017. Um, we selected uh, four in 2018 and three in, uh, I think it was three in 2019. So we, I think we've crashed 12, we have crashed 12 since we started in, in 2017. And, and really the purpose of, of a crash test is not to determine, you know, the safety of the vehicle. It's to determine how safe a passenger in that vehicle, a driver or a passenger or passengers in the back of that vehicle will be 
in the event of a crash. Um, the crash is conducted in Germany. There's a laboratory um, that's used in Munich that we that we send the cars to. The cars are crashed at 64 kilometers an hour in a very controlled environment. The manufacturer of the vehicle that is being crashed is invited to attend the crash and to and to see um, the vehicle being set up for crashing. Uh, and then obviously the, the the crash rating is is established. And since we uh, started the program, Dennis, I think we've identified a few issues regarding vehicle safety in South Africa, I think chief amongst those is the fact that um, the vehicle safety standards in South Africa are too low. There are vehicles that we have tested that have achieved four, four, three, four-star ratings, which is fantastic, and I think we're very encouraged by that. Um, and, and that definitely shows that there are vehicles available in South Africa that are safe uh, and that people can buy and should buy. Um, but it's also highlighted the fact that there are vehicles um, that are not safe and that are, are being sold in South Africa um, and they really shouldn't be. I mean, and these are vehicles that have achieved zero or one stars. And so um, the Safer Cars for Africa program really is there um, to show the, the safety of the vehicles and the safety that it's going to provide to passengers of those vehicles. Um, and it's a program that is going to be ongoing for a long time. Now, as motoring journalists, we also very focused on road safety and in our road tests we we also bang this drum saying don't buy this car because it's unsafe but it seems like uh, the public just tends to go for the cheaper price tags and that message hasn't really filtered through to people. Yeah you know I think it's a great point you make Dennis and I think that when we started Safer Cars for Africa um, you know in collaboration with our partners Global NCAP and the Towards Zero Foundation and Bloomberg Philanthropies um, and the FIA Foundation are, are partly funding it. Um, you know, we we realized that this wasn't going to be something that happened overnight. You know, we weren't going to crash test five vehicles and overnight people were going to say, okay, well, um, you know, we're going to automatically go out and buy safe vehicles. We, we recognize that people want to buy safe vehicles and we've done research um, and there have been a lot of polls that people want to buy vehicles that are safe. But you're absolutely correct. Um, one of the biggest driving factors in people's decisions to buy vehicles is, is money. How much can I afford to buy a vehicle for? Um, which is partly the reason why we say to people, um, you know, rather look at a secondhand vehicle that has better safety than a new vehicle that has less safety. So that should be a consideration as well. It's something that is going to take time, but it doesn't mean that we should stop what we are doing. It's something we believe very strongly in. Um, we believe that standards must improve and we will continue promoting safer vehicles and urging consumers to get those safer vehicles. One of the things that we would like to see in future is that the safety ratings of the vehicles we've tested locally are available at the point of sale for consumers. And I think if that were to happen, it would make a big difference in terms of consumer spend um, and change those attitudes. It's not going to happen quickly, but it's not something we're going to give up on. Yeah, I think that's a great idea, Leighton. That's all from my side from now on. Yeah, Leighton, we've got Sean Corston from Ignition TV. He's also joining us here in the virtual studio. And yeah, uh, Sean, if you've got a couple of questions for Leighton, then uh, go ahead. The floor is yours. Yeah, um, I'd actually want to backtrack a little bit. So obviously the legislations and the enforcements and safer cars are extremely important. But if we go back to the root of the problem, which is indeed the driver, um, you touched on educating the drivers and uh, from a young age. But I think more needs to be done on 
in campaigns to teach people and show accountability. So what like campaigns and initiatives is actually going on at the moment that actually teaches people the correct ways of a driving on the road, not driving drunk, because a lot of that stuff is learned behavior. If I see yeah. my dad driving drunk, I think it's okay. If I see my dad driving on the yellow lane, I think it's okay. So mm-hmm. what, what campaign is there to actually educate drivers <clears throat> not to do this? Because if the drivers don't do it, there's no enforcement, there's no legislative problems. Absolutely, absolutely, Sean. And I think you may, you raise a very important issue. So firstly, what I'd like to say is, is that you take certain things out and say, you know, we have to, we, we focus on safer cars, we focus on this. Road safety for us is something that is a combination of every element of road safety. So we're talking about education, safer cars, safer roads, safer post, you know, or better post-crash intervention. So all of that needs to be, and I hate to use the word, but it needs to be a holistic system. But having said, and, and I think that we're agreed on that. Um, you talk about education and campaigns. So, um, you know, unfortunately, campaigns cost money. And, you know, we as the AA were involved in a visibility campaign uh, where we went, for instance, to a number of taxi ranks in high foot traffic areas in KwaZulu-Natal, the Western Cape, Kauteng, the Free State. And we tried to um, educate people about the dangers of just being pedestrians. And we handed out high visibility sessions. But you're absolutely correct. You know, it is learned behavior. I think a very critical element of that learned behavior is a lack of consequence. And this ties in with what I said earlier about proper law enforcement. You will change behavior if people understand that there is a severe consequence to their action. So if your dad does drive drunk and he gets home and, and, you know, he can't stand on two legs, but he drove his vehicle home and he gets in and he has a joke with you, um, you're going to see that and you're going to learn from that behavior. You're going to say, well, you know, dad did it. It's absolutely fine. And you made the point that that's exactly what happens. But if dad gets arrested and, and dad spends the weekend in jail and dad gets a fine of 15,000 rand and he struggles to pay that and it becomes a big problem, you're going to learn that behavior. And that behavior is, well, I shouldn't be drinking and driving. I know that I'm simplifying it a lot, Sean, and probably not answering your question entirely. But I think that there is a lot to be said for proper law enforcement that has proper consequences and that those consequences are seen to be done. And for us, that is a key driver of changing people's attitudes when they're behind the wheel of a vehicle. No, 100%, Leighton, I agree with you. The consequences will reduce the action. So I 100% agree with that. I think just as a thing, people just need to be more conscious, not about their own lives, how they're getting home, but the other road users as well. Because if you drive drunk, you endanger every single other person on the road. But you're absolutely correct, Sean. But, you know, when it comes down, we can talk about education. And I know, you know, you say you've got to educate people about road safety. And, you know, you can actually, yeah, the audible roll of the eyes of everybody in the room. Um, And they're going, oh, good grief, yeah, we go with education again. The issue with education is absolutely critical. We need driver education in schools, simple as. We need children, and, and I said this earlier, we need kids as young as four and five. You know, you need to, they need to take an adult's hand, they need to walk on the road, and the adult needs to say, that is a stop sign. This is a zebra crossing. This is a solid white line that you shouldn't be walking on. When you're walking on the side of the road, walk on the inside of the road, not on the outside of the road. You know, these are the types of things that need to happen. And that needs to come, A, obviously from parents, because parents teach children how to drive as well, and how to use bicycles, and how to use motorbikes. So that needs to be something that parents, responsible parents need to teach their kids. But it has to also come from an education perspective. So we do need a more intensive focus, we believe, 
on education of road safety and driver education in our schools. And, you know, we can say, yeah, but, you know, you've been banging on this for years and it's never happened. It's never too late to begin. If we can do education in schools that begins in 2020, December, for one month, and at that end of that one month, we save two people's lives who, um, you know, would have died, then I think that we're on the right track. No, 100%. I do agree with you. I think then, do you think there should be a complete reform of the last learner's license and the driver's license? Educate more, be a little bit more stringent, a little bit more harder. I mean, I know people yeah. buy a, a learner's um, test by simply finding the past papers of it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You don't yeah. learn it by doing that. I think a whole reform of doing how you do your learners and how you do your driver's license needs to actually Correct. change. I think when you look at a country like Australia, and you know, again, you know, you, you hate to point fingers at other countries and say let's, but but let's learn from that example. Um, you know, you go through quite an intensive process to get your learner's permit, uh, and then you you know they've got a, what they call a graduated driving process. So um, you know, when you when when you've got a hundred uh, hours behind the wheel, you can only drive in a city. Uh, you know, on city streets. Um, when you've got 150, you're allowed to go on, uh, on on a more national road. When you've got 300, and I'm just using figures here, when you've got 300 hours, you're allowed to travel, um, you know, bet between cities on national roads. And so you kind of graduate from being somebody who learns to drive to somebody who is learning to drive. Um, I think for us, um, there is a huge difference, Sean between a, um, a, a licensed driver and a capable driver. And I think that in South Africa, we have licensed drivers, but we don't have capable drivers. And to your point, I agree that we would like to see a situation where we have capable drivers on our roads uh, who are properly licensed, of course, but who are capable before necessarily being licensed. I, I, I hope that makes sense. I'm yeah. not saying let's do away with licenses. I'm just saying, you know, let's get capable people behind the wheel of vehicles. I agree, I guess. But that can only, systems like that can only work when the enforcement is working. It can, and it can only work when you've got people who want to make it work. And, you know, people want to make it work if they've been taught that this is the right way and the wrong way to do things. Um, if you've got a five-year-old, let's say, for example, you've got a five-year-old now and you're teaching them the rules of the road, I can guarantee you, um, you know, when that child is 15 years old, if you do something wrong, they are going to shout and scream, you're doing it wrong. And that's entirely the situation you want to be at, you know, where, um, you know, where, where, where a child is of such a, a responsible um, type of road user that, that they know the difference between doing things correctly and doing, doing things incorrectly. And that comes down to education. Agreed. Absolutely agreed with you, Leighton. That's all I have from my end. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Unfortunately, I think that's all the time we have. It's a fascinating topic and we could go on about it for hours, you know, just in yes. terms of uh, road safety, education, safer cars. It's such an umbrella subject, but uh, yes. unfortunately, yeah, we are out of time. But I'd just like to say thanks again for joining us on the show. Only a pleasure. Thank you for listening to me. Anytime. Anytime. Thanks a lot. And uh, yeah, folks, that's it. We are out of time. That's the episode. We hope you enjoyed it. And uh, we hope you'll join us again next week for another episode of Cargumentative. Thank you.